0: I'd like to begin by saying under no circumstances or with any kind of leverage, will any of you ever make me start this with an intro music? And if that happened, I think I would rather just swallow three gallons of bleach. Or, I mean, maybe I could always just do what I always do and just complain about it. Way that's some kind of subtext irony there. Um, Anyways, so what the hell is this and why aren't you getting the MMA podcast this week? Well, in short, what happened was we had audio at Harris, but um, Saram and Ed, the two soft, serenity, dissonant, serenity-sounding boys of the team, and myself, the uh, the whatever-the-fuck-I-am, we talked about um, the UFC 268 pay-per-view card and our expectations for the next card between Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. And so this is kind of an impromptu solo pod that I can basically do, sometimes to either cover her slack that other people aren't doing, or just to kind of just ramble about, like, whatever nonsense I want. Uh, let's just call this podcast My Life is a Goddamn Mess, and just leave it at that. Um, so anyways, I'll, I'll cut through the chase here, because I am limited on time for this podcast, so admittedly, I'm not going to cover as much ground as I would like to. Plus, it'll all be from my perspective, and always approach my perspective with just the idea that hey I'm probably missing some details I won't be able to cover everything and uh, you know but I'll do my best with the knowledge that I do have so let's start by just covering ground so with MMA so MMA this year I think has kind of been a bit of a drought there's been some really satisfying moments and some decent things but we haven't really been too impressed with the matchmaking on like set cards and whatnot and I've especially gotten the chance to experience that given um, the preview pods that I do with Fenyo, and Fenyo, who watches all of the cards, why, who knows, um, has basically helped me kind of see, hey, how well-constructed some of these cards are, who are some of the possible e- interesting up-and-comers, etc., etc., etc. So, let, let's talk about um, UFC Matchmaking, though. They um, have kind of saved kind of some of their best cards, though, recently. The 267 card, which I could gush about all day long, and then the 268 card, which was probably just as strong, um, did both of these cards deliver abso fucking lootly. and so today's topic is the UFC 268 card, a great night to kind of remind you that, hey, MMA is pretty great when it's, you know, great. So, starting, um, I, I think I won't cover every ground. And I admit that I have not rewatched or truly studied over most of these, to my own uh, disappointment. You'll have to forgive me. I work quite a bit over the week, and I also have lots of other responsibilities. In other words, adulthood is a killer. Um, So I, I do apologize in advance for that. Um, but let, let me start from the very, very bottom. Let's start with uh, Bobby Green's recent resurgence. Now, I will argue to the death that he won that Rafael Fazeev fight, but really, really seeing Bobby Green kind of emerge with all his, his um, savvy um, experience and just raw skill and kind of unique kind of fervor in the last year or two has been really, really fun to watch. Um, And so going into this fight, although we can all agree Al got totally robbed by Al Ayakonta back in his prime, that this is definitely post-Prime Al. Um, You know what? I can't be too unhappy with Bobby Green kind of doing him. And I am doing this bit for Saram because he would look at me really sad if he didn't. He is also having a terrible cough, and if you want to support his health, please donate money to us. The child needs it. He really does. Um, so Bobby green, I, I think the gist on him is pretty simple. If you can't basically outposition green or you can't like give him a lot of data to, uh, to overwhelm him, he's going to basically like chew you up at a distance all day long. He's fantastic at it. He's really surprising with how he plays with rhythm. And so unless you're playing with rhythm back and mixing up your offense, you're going to either get deaded like Al did here because Al wasn't mixing up his entries or you're going to basically get a little styled on because you get a little too predictable like Fazeev did. Um, nonetheless, though, Bobby Green is absolutely awesome. You should watch him and love him. He's great. Um, I don't really have too much to say about the bottom part of the card because, admittedly, I missed it. Um, Shout-out to John Falante for retiring. We will miss him and his performances. You know, uh, shout out to to the guy who beat him, uh, Barnett, for having a decently cool wheel kick KO. I think it was a wheel kick. I genuinely don't remember. I hadn't started watching fights yet because I had a busy weekend. Um, and then I know I'm forgetting like five other people who are worth like talking about on the other undercard. But from what I could tell, this card t- or before the main card was pretty darn fun. Um, oh, Chris Curtis won. Uh, he got some shine. That I wasn't able to watch a lot of footage of him beforehand, but he seems like a cool dude. Um, hopefully, he can get some veteran performances. Phil Hawes kind of basically just has a bit of a glass chin and is kind of hurtable. Fanyo and I, I think, covered that. Um, though we kind of expected Haas' um, physical abilities to kind of be a bit too much, and we were kind of right, you know. I think Fenya and I do our research pretty well for these cards, and usually we can call dynamics pretty right. Um, and, and I think that occurred here. So let, let's jump to the main card. Starting, I mean, with the show Steeler yourself, Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Um, if I was to review MMA's uh, Fight of the Year list in a nutshell this year, we haven't exactly, I think, had too many, like, standout fights. There's been some pretty good ones. There's been some dramatic ones. But I wouldn't say we've had, like, a real bona fide, like, holy shit, this fight is fucking crazy kind of fight. Um, the way this one was. And, I mean, anyone who says it's fight of the year is right to say so. And if it's not, it's definitively top three. I mean, just... It, it, it was extraordinary. That... It, the most surprising part that I don't think anyone saw coming was it went the distance. Somehow. Someway. It, it's a little nuts. Um, it, it's it's especially because uh these are two of the hardest punchers like pound for pound in the sport i don't think you could really argue that and both guys are absolute killing machines when it comes to like setting up their power and like really incorporating it on each other and they just went after it from the very opening bell and just the results i i think they speak for themselves how just insane the fight is just it's one of those fights that just has so many just what the hell is happening moments, oh my god, what, 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 over and over again. It, it honestly was just an awesome fight. I, I really can't really say enough about it. Um, as for the dynamics playing out, so I, I wrote a really long prediction on our site staff, and I talked with Feniel a lot about this fight. Um, the gist of it is, basically, what kind of fight was it going to look like? Because we knew, oh, Chandler's going to come forward. How is he going to come forward and deal with the um, counters and how is Gaethje going to figure out maybe ways to close that door on Chandler or how is Chandler's wrestling going to play the role. Now I'll also mention for those who don't follow my work too well or don't know this. I'm not really a real wrestling aficionado though. I kind of have like a decent eye for what's good and what's bad. Um, I think like Chandler kind of just struggled to get his moments going for the wrestling and I think Gaethje just kind of surprised him in terms of, like, just his ips and whatnot. So to quote something Ed said, basically, like, Gaethje's wrestling, it, it's still kind of what it, it's always been. He's very athletic, very strong, gets the basic ideas with fighting grips and looking for sprawls. Um, his grappling is still an unknown, basically just extended ground exchanges. The, again, don't use the khabib Nurmagomedov adoff fight as reference. Because, again, it's Khabib of, and nobody is that good on the ground in MMA, I don't think. Not my knowledge base. But, um, anyways, how did this fight kind of play out um, according to expectations? Well, the thing that I was betting on was basically Gaethje was going to figure out how to close the door on entry on Chandler. Um, And that's kind of what he did. It just took him a while to get that. Because Chandler really, really, as he's gotten older, has really excelled at mixing things up. With his target practice, playing with rhythm off of his feet, the hop in and hop out bout kind of movements, uh, really, really good work. But especially like pairing it with his jab here and pairing it with his um, rear hand into different things. It's what helped set up the rights in the first. It's what helped set up the body work a little too late, but enough to like really get inside. And I mean, I do think Chandler's speed and relentlessness and just obscene toughness really like kind of threw Gagey off of it. So we kind of got a bit of um a- another weird kind of um fight, sort of, but Gage because and by that I mean so before this fight we're asking what version of Justin Gage are we gonna see? We are gonna see the pressure Gagey, we gonna see the backwards movement Gagey. And, um, or are we going to see the steps towards getting that kind of Gaichi who's going to start incorporating a bit of both? And to be honest, I'm not quite sure if that question was really answered entirely because if we review real quick, what's the strength of pressure Gaichi? his urgency, his constant understanding of dealing damage, his ability to deal initiative, understanding how to draw counters into offensive maneuvers, Controlling where the opponent is and then punishing them for it or it, uh, his defense is consistently very difficult to break through unless you're doing incredibly smart things and breaking rhythm. He, he's deceptively hard to hit and deceptively hard to keep hurting, hurting, but he also is smart enough to pick up on little mistakes if you give them to him and he will take advantage of them. Um, the one problem with pressure Gaethje is, well, he sustains a pace that is, entirely reliant upon his damage doing too much before he gases and so part of the reason why he um, struggles so much in long attritional wars and why they become wars is just because he would tire himself out a lot in the process because he would put himself in the line of fire and only those savvy enough to really take advantage of that like a Poirier or an Alvarez in entirely different ways, we're able to accomplish that. But Gaethje himself, um, on the front foot, like, that—that that is the big, big problem. Basically, he he works at a pace he cannot sustain ever, and that is a huge, huge no-no for any kind of elite fighter. Or even one that is very capable, like Justin Gaethje. Um, on the back foot, the big concern has been, although Gaethje has kind of evolved, like, his use of head movement, use of hand traps to set up, like, distance to punish opponents. Ferguson um, kind of isn't really a great outlier for that, A, because Tony is an extremely weird fighter, and sometimes a really over-aggressive fighter, who, if he can't really get his jab going or his initiative on exchanges, he kind of rushes into you, which means, oh, Justin Gaethje, who has a hair trigger on counters, is going to bomb you. And Khabib's showing kind of really exposed that Gaethje's cage craft, needs some work. Specifically, um, how I would put this is, I think, when it comes to working around his opponents, or basically, hey, we're having, like, neutral kind of engagements, Gechi works really well. But when it comes to, like, needing to circle or work kind of outfighting, Gechi is a very inconsistent fighter, and I, I would suspect he's trying to figure out, but it's either not really his natural inclination to do that because I think Gaethje will look for an offensive opportunity first before like really capitalizing on it Um, but sorry let me rephrase he'll look for an offensive opportunity before making sure he's safe enough to do it sometimes if he's working on the outside so what makes this fight really weird though is you kind of saw not too much of either but you saw a merge of kind of either because the range he operated here was neutral Um, entirely neutral, and I think part of it is because he recognized Chandler could blitz in so fast, but he also realized, hey, I can close the door on Chandler, the uppercut blitz, which I called perfectly. If Chandler is going to blitz in and basically come in low, I just need to set that uppercut up, up, or if it's some other method, I need to fire back in exchanges or overhand, pair it with the straight, pair it with the left hook, or pair any of those together and work and at a distance keep chewing him up with kicks um and it just led to just a crazy crazy ass fight because it, it is funny that Chandler's whole strategy basically amounted to just bonk him really fucking hard but he did some pretty savvy things getting it there but um the moment Justin kind of figured out how to close those entries like Chandler got much the worst of it and frankly no idea what the issue with his durability is, because I thought it was compromised, but then this happened, and, well, uh, durability isn't really my strong suit, but, um, I don't really know. The f- end of the fight's a little interesting in a spark much discussion. Did Gagey show mercy? He, why didn't he pursue the finish? And I would say, um, it, it's a mix between, well, first of all, Michael Chandler was still, um, Fenyo and I talked about this. If this fight was going to go long, um, and this is actually what happened, we were going to favor Gaethje's attritional damage and Gaethje fighting better tired than Chandler, who kind of just explodes, being kind of advantageous. But Chandler still explodes, and it's still very, very, very dangerous. So I can understand Gaethje kind of going, this guy wants to draw me into just something big. I'm gonna wait till he comes in and bonk him really fucking hard for it and w- just pick my shots carefully because he's basically just trying to draw me in and but w- every time I draw him in, I hurt him. and well he doesn't have the kicking tools that I have at a distance. so that's probably better for me. Um, and that that's kind of my logistical like analysis of this fight. I don't really think it's that complicated, but I think it was an awesome fight. I think, um, I I don't really know how to read where Gaethje's going. I don't really think he's ever going to really fully master those two kind of things. But I think when he's able to get that neutral space, um, he's kind of got the best of both worlds. This is an awesome fight. Give that man his title shot because he deserves it more than anyone else um, at this point. And Michael Chandler is a fucking dog and a half i did not expect this fight to be as insanely punishing as it was for both guys just it was amazing and the next fight was also really good um and it sucks that the crowd wasn't really into it but um man shane burgos and billy correntillo really beat the fuck out of each other too yeah i I, i've been kind of concerned about shane um basically um coming back because that Barboza knockout is really, really, really optically scary. And, like, if you know anything about history of combat sports and have seen guys die in the ring, that is a eerily similar, like, knockout. And it's just, it's a very, very hard thing for me wanting Shane to come back. But on the other hand, though, Shane Burgos is one of the best action fighters in the sport. This guy delivers the violence and he is in nothing but fun fights. Um, he has a great idea of how to um, allocate basically his offense around what his opponents are showing him. Um, he has great defensive triggers or built in defensive triggers as the fight goes on. I think Burgos' problem is a little twofold. One, he has to allocate kind of his offense um, more around offense than being defensively responsible. That isn't to say he's defensively irresponsible. It just means like he's going to focus on like I'm going to push for more aggressive things than actually like making sure I'm safe before I push for those aggressive things. Um, The second problem is I think Burgos kind of has to feel the fire before he starts to give the fire back. Um, And so I kind of knew what this fight was going to be the moment Quarantillo hit him with that first overhand, right? I was like, yep, here we go, son. But, honestly, Quarantillo thought really smart, too. Quarantillo really showed, like, improved jab work and, like, using it to get those overhands into the straights, into the collar tie uppercuts, uh, to really just kind of drive Shane down with the pace. Unfortunately, Burgos kind of was physical enough to, like, fight in the clinch, found that timing on um, the entry to counter kick the jab, um, and cross counter it and really really hurt billy a couple of times with that the fight was honestly insane too um definitely one of the best fights of the year in quality because like they really really volumed each other up just um i don't know off the top of my head in mma if i've seen a more two-way volume fight um than this one even if like not every shot was hard just the constant engagements it was wild to watch and um it's a shame the crowd wasn't really into it until like crazy stuff happened, but like it, it, it's like this fight was gonna deliver too, probably more promise than the other one, and it definitely did. Just honestly, a two fight of the years back to back is always a treat, eat and like you don't get those too often. Um, and, and then the card kind of lost some momentum, but it, a bit. But that isn't to say that it got bad. We got a uh, Cheeto Vera versus Frankie Edgar. And Fenyo and I had a hard time calling this. Um, the big issue was asking ourselves, okay, so we have Edgar, who basically is a good top game player. We have Cheeto, who's kind of an opportunistic, aggressive fighter who likes to look for his clinch and likes to basically set up those kicks up the middle, or like looks to set up like step in elbows to like set up big, more hurtful offense. Like Cheeto really likes to hurt the opponent. Edgar um, still shows craft with his pocket entries. It's still fairly quick on his feet. Still a lot of that experience shows with the in and out kind of movement. And he really um, punished a lot of Vera's like pocket entry irresponsibilities. Vera's always had kind of a problem like disguising those entries when he can't like hand fight you or if he has to like step in on you. Um, Vera's still not the most like accomplished ring cutter in the division and his range tools still have some work to be asked for. And his pocket is just, it's just not the best, but he makes up for it by being durable and relentless. And I I think Edgar fought really, really smart here. And we kind of saw some of the dynamics coming. Edgar really like getting that top position stuff. Edgar's in and out work. It's just sometimes when you're old, it doesn't matter. And Vera, um, Vera also adjusted. Vera played off of that hand fight a lot more into the kicks. And just was able to make the engagements on the feet go more his way. And just, he ultimately got Edgar and turned him into the monkey NFT. Um, and, you know, that happened. So, a little sad for Edgar after such a kind of good last minute showing. But, uh, hey, it's cool. Vera's pretty cool. Saram suggested uh, Vera Sandhagen and I'd be down to see that. Don't know if Vera'd be experienced enough to get it done, but it would be awesome. Um, as for Edgar, honestly, don't really think he has much left to prove. He's still a great fighter, but I, I think like I think the chin the chin is gone, and his recovery isn't there anymore. Subsequently, he he's old. He's feeling it. Um, afterwards we got the um title fights. So I'm gonna totally admit. I wasn't able to watch much of the women's title fight, but I think Fenyo got it right. Um, Jean kind of played upon her leg-kicking success of the last one, avoiding like letting Rose get easy, neutral space and basically just work on the outside and if Rose got in, take advantage of that physical kind of strength um, and whatnot. I wasn't really able to watch, like, uh, for adjustments from either one, so I couldn't really pay attention. The one thing that was really, really weird, though, is how, like, Zhang would just outmuscle her earlier on in these exchanges. And I know for a fact Zhang has a ridiculous gas tank because of that war with um, Joanna. But, like, how is it that you know all these positional things and can outgrapple grapple a on the ground consistently or at least compete with her and then you just like concede to a top position where to be fair rose isn't doing much but how do you just concede to that in the last round what the hell is wrong how are you that tired is it just one of those cases of oh wrestling exchange is more tiring than stand-up exchanges I don't know but um it was it was kind of interesting but um i I, I, I think I heard the fight was really really close um i I don't really know as I didn't score it but um Anyways, um, I, I, I gotta say those are probably the two best women in the white class. I think Andraj Andraj is up there as well, um, probably will compete. Oh, I hope they have some funny ring around between the three, just keep it going, because that's actually really fun. Um, Rose concerns me a bit, just because she's always so uncomfortable, and doesn't really like, I, I think Whitman's problem. I'll talk more about this with Usman, but, I think Whitman's problem shows the most with Rose because she's never struck me as someone who's one hundred percent comfortable with what she's doing, and just I think just loses focus because she loses composure. And I think the way Whitman wants his fighters to fight on the outside um, doesn't really lend itself well of that. Now that's some armchair psychology right there, so don't take it. For granted, that's more of a theoretical kind of gut feeling on what Rose's issue is, but um yeah, I mean good on them, I guess. Um let me see. So next we get the main event, Usman Covington. Okay, so on one hand, I think this went the way it went somewhat expectingly, in that these two just kind of weirdly ugly fighters on the feet bring out the ugly in each other. I think a lot of people saying that are right, um, because Usman is a very interesting fighter for me, because I like him, but he has always struck me as a guy who hasn't really figured out how he wants to fight on the feet in a way that feels cohesive or systemically comfortable. I think Usman is basically a bit of an overthinker, because... What you'll see Usman do is he tries something. And he's not afraid to try something different. But then he kind of has to be punished to stop doing it. Or he has to try something else. And will stick to it without looking for something better off of that. Until he kind of finds it. That was kind of the first Covington fight in a nutshell. Um, And well the first Covington fight was a banger. Because like. Usman was so willing to like just punch him and made like some adjustments off of the frames, off the level changes, etc. etc. Um, here it was kind of more of a measured look on the outside. Although Usman's jab has improved, like his pocket comfort has not. And it it's kind of the same, like a awkward like slip to the side, duck under, half weave, half dip. And he has been punished for that consistently now. And, um, it's, it's a little worrying to me because basically if you're getting tagged by Colby Covington there consistently, that's kind of an issue that the rest of the division could take advantage of. And although Masvidal didn't like look great in the last one, I mean, Burns kind of caught him there or until Burns just kind of got out physicalled. Um, that's kind of the layman's terms for what happened. It's more complicated than that, but, um. Covington, I I think... So let's talk about Covington. Um, Covington is interesting because he, I think, actually did improve in some of the things that I would criticize before this fight. Um, I don't want to give him that much credit because, in reality, this fight was a mess from both of them. But um, I will say this. I think before the fight, Covington has struggled to really get rhythm off of his jab or like, learning how to dictate exchanges with counters. I think there, there's an honest attempt being made here for him to become, quote-unquote, more of a slow-paced technical fighter without throwing himself into the fire. The irony is, though, it wasn't until he started throwing himself into the fire and taking advantage of those spots where Usman would step in, where he, like, had more success here, And it just got him hurt a lot more early because he doesn't really know how to play all those rhythm things off of each other. Still doesn't really have a kicking game. Still doesn't have the most versatile jab use. though it was more useful here for drawing out counters. It's still just like playing the waiting game here. I just don't think worked for him and I don't think it works for him in general. I, I don't think he has enough versatility or comfort to really get it done. He's the guy who thrives in putting the pace on the other guys. And th- that's a reason why Usman's tougher because Usman can meet that pace. But both of them are such ugly strikers anyways that it just leads to like some back and forthness between them. Um, like what happened in the last round. So this fight, I, I think in a nutshell, where-, where is Usman at is a worthy question because... Walter Waite's in such a weird place where it's still hard to imagine someone beating him cleanly, though, given his defensive liabilities, Luque is probably the guy who is most dangerous, because Luque is consistent, and you know what Luque is going to do, and he's very, very good at setting up that damn left hook. Leon uh, Edwards, uh, although Leon is inconsistent and tries to play it safe, I know Leon for a fact, if you do give him something, he is going to like pay attention to it a bit. Um, as long as Leon stays safe, though, that's kind of his priority. Leon's inconsistent too. Um, that, that's kind of the weird part about Walter Walterweight. Like, you don't really get a firm grasp on anyone besides like Luke a. Um, so I, I don't really know what this division is gonna shape up to be or what Usman's gonna be, but i i do know this. I do think the Whitman kind of style doesn't work for Usman. And I think it's a different problem from the Rose problem. I think whereas Rose, again, I'm using armchair psychology and theory here. I think the Rose problem is that Rose doesn't really ever feel comfortable fighting. I think Usman basically is capable of fighting, but he's thinking in the wrong kind of phases. And that kind of leads to a lot of back and forth negative like negative and positive feedback for him. Because he still has an incredibly dangerous clinch. He's a physical monster if he has the opponent against the fence. Um, but a lot of the c- aggression that won him that title against Woodley. And like built him up to that title beforehand. And even like versus Covington. It's just. It's it's strange because in some ways you've seen how he's improved with some of his fundamentals. Particularly the jab. Particularly the counters and the right. But on the other hand he's lost a lot of the ideas it looks like, of how to build things together. And um, it just it just led to a weird fight um, in a nutshell. I think this fight was a strategic failure by both guys, or at least a strategic, like, um, kind of underwhelming, like, strategic showing. I definitely think there's a lot of things both guys could work on, um, such as, I, I think Usman just really, really needs to establish some kind of comfort for himself, and I don't think Whitman is quite the guy to do that. Um, Because the one thing I, I can say, actually, about Gaethje, because, God forbid, give me more reasons to like Gaethje, is Gaethje at least feels comfort, I think, thinking about what his opponents are doing and, like, trying to position himself accordingly and punishing them during the fight, it, which kind of fits within Whitman's mold of, like, Okay, how do you keep yourself safe and then hit them sometimes, most of the time? And Gechi can almost do that most of the time outside of the inefficiencies with balance. Whereas Usman is just more like, okay, I'm going to zero in on this one thing. Oh, damn, I got countered. Okay, try this other thing. Fuck. It, it kind of just... Th- that's, that's Usman's problem. I think Usman is just so constantly vulnerable. And it's just... Again, someone is going to punish him for that. Um, but the question always is who. And who, who knows with Welterweight. Welterweight's White, a mess and a half. Kind of in terms of like who's where and when. Um, but hey, at least it, it asks interesting questions and it's worth paying somewhat attention to. Um, yeah, so this was a strategic, like I, I think, weird one from both guys. But I don't really think either guy tactically showed up either, it was just, you would think Usman would take control, because he picks up on things, but no, not really, it's just kind of like, it became like a lighter version of the first fight towards the end, I I don't really know what else to say here, Um, but this was a great card, it, it really was, I, I had a lot of fun watching it, I really, really did, wish we got more of these, but That's not the only thing I can talk about here. Um, I can also talk about Canelo. Um, Canelo and Plant, I admit my attention was also split, so I didn't get to address it. And um, Plant isn't someone I've really done my homework into, but um, I think Canelo did a fine job of showing everyone how to penetrate a difficult shell guard, um, specifically. And there are some nuances to that. I think Lukash is writing something right now, so I won't really go into it too much. Um, but the gist of it is, if you're going to fight Canelo, um, there are a couple of things that you got to watch for and watch out for. So Canelo right now has really, really found comfort around applying a very measured, very effortless kind of cage-cutting, sorry, ring-cutting phase. Um and using his feints and pairing them with just his inherent, like, creativity with his punch selection, his timing, his absurd reflexes, and just obscene power, and really has successfully turned himself into, like, um just a Terminator in terms of, like, walking guys down, don't let them move places, punish them for the little mistakes, and then roughhouse them on the inside, because... That's, that's the really scary thing about this Canel is his last few opponents um, have gotten torn up on the inside extremely bad as soon as he gets there. But on the outside, they can't accomplish much either. Plant definitely did some smarter work in the last few because he at least mixed up his outside threats behind uppercuts, behind like like his jab, especially every time he moved. It's just the problem with fighting Canelo is if you cannot out-position him or you can't back him up, he is going to find a way to get in on you. And if he gets in on you, you're going to have to figure out a way to either have some offensive options back or find ways to get him off of you that don't compromise your position. And the problem for Plant is Plant had a very, very good guard that would be difficult for most fighters to deal with. The problem is Canelo knew how to work around it, especially up close, and the as soon as he would separate, he would do, like, little subtle things you see, like, boxers in the old days do. It was shoving guys around, knocking their hands out of position. And, and kind of what Canelo did was sort of similar to that. He would shove, like, Plant away or, like, use his form to reposition him and crack him. A lot more even in those little spots that Plant's shell couldn't cover up. And Plant's shell guard, like, although it excels at, like, defensive kind of, like... Well, shelling its not exactly the best way of phrasing it, but it works here. Um, It it just means it's very not so the best for offensive purposes. It isn't like a high guard because a high guard doesn't cover everything, but it at least allows you to counterpunch, whereas a shell punch is more just that way of just fully covering up. Um, So good performance from Canelo, but it doesn't really help us. ...establish anything different. I think Plant impressed me a bit... ...with like his ability to deal with some of the things... ...and kind of some blueprints for ideas... ...versus rhythm versus Canelo. It's just that guy is too good at reading fights right now. He's at the peak of his powers. And honestly, who below 168 is going to beat him right now... ...is my guess. Um, The fight I'd like to see him in next... ...is basically the fight I think most people... ...who follow him really, really want... Um, I know Cruiserweight Marius Britis, um wants him to come up to 190 and fight, and that's def- And although Canelo is astoundingly good and impressive, Marius Bredis would be too big, and Marius Bredis is genuinely a very, very good boxer. So I, I think Canelo would probably get done in in that one or survive to the distance, but I, I would be shocked if he won that one. The fight that everyone wants to see him take on, though, is Beterbiev. I'm going to admit I need to do more homework on Baturbiev, but it'll be interesting to see a couple of things. First, um, if Baturbiev can back Canelo up with just sheer raw concussive power is the obvious one. The second is, although Canelo does apply his own high guard and has excellent reflexes, what's going to happen when someone can hurt him through that guard like Baturbiev probably could? He's going to have to rely upon that head movement more than other. He's going to have to rely upon his positioning and that I, I will need to look more into Peturvia's ring craft, his um, other tools on the feet. But um, that is a scary, scary, scary fighter. And um, Canelo is still not necessarily a natural 168 pounder, although he's, his power has carried him through a bunch. And that fight might make him have to work more just to win on some optics scale potentially, but it's the the fight everyone really, really wants to see him in, I think, who knows the boxing scene accordingly. Canelo is incredible. He's the best boxer in the world because he gets how to use minimalist fundamentals for all the right purposes without expending or compromising himself one single bit. He's brilliant. He's better than anyone else in the sport at doing that, although Alexander Usyk, Hilly Volomachenko, Bud Crawford, um, Inoue, and so on, are excellent at all the things they do. They don't do things um, with everything kind of carefully like calculated to maximize upon everything the way he does. And they probably aren't as battle-tested either. Yes, except maybe Usyk, but that's that's maybe a different conversation entirely. Usyk's Usyk Fury is still the fight, um, which unfortunately won't happen for a while, or ever, which would suck, but th- that's kind of my general feelings on Canelo, I'm sure someone else such as Taylor or Lukash can cover, like, ground that I haven't, um, so that- that's kind of the end of the boxing scene, I don't, I don't really know what the future, uh, events hold, unfortunately, so that kind of le- brings me to my last topic of today, because I am running out of time, uh, Max fucking Holloway is coming back, and he is fighting Yair Rodriguez. Now, Max Holloway, um, I, I've written articles about him. I could talk about him to death, but that guy is just ridiculous. He's one of the best fighters in the world. He has probably the most versatile lead hand in MMA history. He He's really evolved um, since that first loss to Volk, putting together his kick game together with an attack game that doesn't rely upon that lead hand as the main source all the time. Um, he really, really has put together um, an insane swarming pressure that just mounts and builds. And although he doesn't need to swarm you to beat you, if he does, you're fucked. And he's the best in the world in terms of like really, really, really putting that pace on you if you give it to him. Um, and just with his growing like hot sh- selection, I, I always would argue um, less strikes is better because um, you can master them. Holloway is, like, one of the few exceptions because he can throw so many things, but he does them off of each other and has so much depth in how he crafts them. Um, he, he's scary, and he's still the best body puncher in MMA. It's It's still him, by far. Just this ruthless monster, and, like, he... He already proved it, like, with that classic fight with Volkanovski last year that I love so goddamn much. But um, he proved it again by basically killing Cater. And the only reason Cater survived that fight is, A, because Cater could, like, have just enough power to, like, back him off before he died. And also Cater is just one of the toughest fighters to ever live. Um, And, well, bad officiating and corner stoppages in MMA, you know. That conversation, that really makes me upset. Um, so what? W- even with fighters as good well as Max Holloway, I have to ask myself, what can someone who's an underdog do to beat him here? Because And I like to play devil's advocate a lot because, hey, it's a good chance to test myself on what might I be missing, what might I be wrong about, what could I learn? So Yair Rodriguez. Um, I watched some Yair footage. Of his last few fights and oh dear God. Um, okay. I, I don't know how to phrase this more blunt, but featherweight is not the division where you want to bill yourself as a kicker and yet you would still get out kicked by half of the top 10 at minimum. And where your hands are not good. I genuinely do not think there is a worse fighter in the featherweight top 15 right now in terms of their ability with their hands than Yair Rodriguez. And that is a reason alone to be fucking terrified for him versus Max Holloway. Whom has arguably the best hands in the division, or at least the most versatile? Um, good God, it's it's bad. Um, Yair's hands. Um, I don't even know what he does. Like he tries to jab, he, or just like tries to like put things together. But it's like they're kind of just there, or most of the time. Like it, against Stevens, it's really damning because it's like he'll just like throw sometimes but the only times he really uses that fight is when he's well getting 10 8 in the third because he can't get Stevens off of him in the third which is bad um but also just th- the worst ground and pound I've seen in a while against when he got Stevens hurt um and it's also insane because his kicking game is not the best either he's f- a fast kicker he's committed to like doing body work with it and he's dynamic and fast enough and can definitely crack with it. The problem is his kicks are only really set up when he like really hand fights, but he's even not that much of a committed hand fighter. He kind of just throws it out there really hard. And if Stevens wasn't such a lumbering, like lumbering, like piece of metal, then i mean it it's not hard to see other fighters looking at that and just going oh you're going to kick me i can catch you and kick you back or i can basically kick you before you kick me and keep forcing you to reset over and over again and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so um yeah this is th- this is a hard one for me to come up with routes to victory here for BI Air. Unless, like, he lands that Hail Mary head kick that just actually manages to hurt Holloway or body kick that finally makes Max's iron, like, unkillable durability go away or improves massively overnight or off of this however long it's been since he's fought, he is going to really, really, really not have a good time. And I think everyone who's been saying that is 100% right. Um, it bad. It really, really bad for Yair in this matchup. Um, Will it be a worse beating than Cater and Ortega? Who fucking knows? Yair, at the very least, is tough. But he'll offer way less resistance than those two, especially if he gets to the same positions. I promise you that. Because... I genuinely cannot think of an area outside of probably athleticism where he is going to have an advantage here because he's not craftier. He doesn't have better hands. He does. He is not a better kicker than Holloway. No fucking way. Sorry, anyone who kicks off their punches and vice versa to control distance the way Holloway does, that Volkanovski two-fight alone proves that Max Holloway is a way better kicker than Yair Rodriguez. He may not hit as hard, but it's like... He knows how to use his kicks very, very effectively as a ring general, and Yair does not, so that's bad, um, so I kind of see this going pretty downhill pretty quickly if Max gets going hard, which I suspect he will, um, especially if he sees, like, oh, this guy isn't gonna offer me much, well, I'm just gonna beat the fuck out of him, um, yeah, it, it bad, it, 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 it gonna be probably bad, it'll probably be stopped, I hope it stopped, if it does get to that point where the Cater fight was, and that Cater fight started going really bad by round two, and it definitely should have been stopped in round four, um, yeah, this is, um, on one hand it smacks fucking Holloway, and I love watching him, but like, Geez, the matchmaking here is cruel. It's really cruel. Um, But on the other hand, I also don't like Yair Rodriguez. So there's a part of me that feels there's some karmic justice here. Not only for that bullshit TKZ win, which, fuck you, that was bullshit. Second, um, Yair also hasn't fought in forever and, well... I've seen too many people say he's a good striker, that it's hurt my feelings. My precious, precious old man feelings. I'm not that old, but I'm old. Um, yeah, anyways, hope you all enjoy getting to see one of the five best fighters in MMA fight for the second time this year, because God knows, is he fucking awesome? He's, he's the best. I love him. I don't know if he's the best fighter in the world, but that's an argument for another day. Um. But I do know for most people talking about it, he's certifiably one of the contenders for that discussion. And I wouldn't really argue too much for anyone who did say it. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about um, that card. Julio Arce is fighting Song Yadong. That's an interesting fight. I don't really get Julio Arce beyond like uh, his shame and Marais bout is really good. Song Yadong's kind of improved some of his craft a bit, but not really much else to say. He's not really my cup of tea to really talk about in detail. But um, you know that, you know um, I, I'm just glad MMA delivered a bit more over the last two weeks because it, it's been a bit of a dour year. But hey, the last event looks okay, and well, you know I I wish I could follow the kickboxing scene more and talk about things because. As, uh the Petrosian knockout and, well, the J-kick scene is always fucking crazy and stuff is happening, but there's too much of it for me to follow. Muay Thai, God, I haven't even followed this year or at all because I've been too busy with jobs, but um, I'll probably have to talk with Ryan about that, but, you know. um. So, anyways, any announcements and stuff? If you enjoy this pod, we do have a Discord where myself and some other staff members are pretty active. You can ask us questions. You can ask me questions on Twitter at typewritingda and uh, at typewritingda. That's my Twitter handle. If I'm not like making fun of MMA or shit posting, I'm probably talking about video games or cool things i right posting retweets of funny dogs and stuff because I like dogs. Dogs are very sweet. Um, otherwise, um, you can contribute to our Patreon. It's it helps a lot basically producing work you can request content breakdowns etc and I mean we're pretty good especially me at like consistently trying to find ways to get it done I enjoy writing articles I'm writing one right now I'll just go ahead and say I'm writing a big one over Piotr Jan um it's not it it involves his performance against Corey Sandegan in a pretty good fight but it's a lot more than that um And I'm really enjoying writing it, and I look forward to sharing it with you all, hopefully within the the week after I, um, you know, made this pod, which is November 10th at night. Um, I don't really have much else to say. This is probably just going to be just solo episodes. Don't really know if it's a guest thing, because I usually have a lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to mention, etc., etc. But, uh, yeah, this is um, Dan Albert the Fight Site. Um again if you join our patreon we have a discord but y- you we're pretty accessible in general and well we're always free to chat just cool shit in general. Um, if we don't respond, don't take it personally we're some of us are really busy especially me um, but I hope you all enjoyed this if you did. hopefully didn't make too many takes that sounded too egregious but um hey we're all in it to enjoy combat sports. they're a cool spectacle and like anything else really that you can find but um this was dan this was my life is a goddamn mess and well ain't that the fucking truth have a good day all goodbye